You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. If you choose to believe in God, you are forced to deal with evil. The moral evil of human brutality, genocides, all manner of torture. The natural evil, floods, earthquakes, fires, all unleashing their capricious grief Diseases of every kind, causing untold suffering, especially of children. The horrors of this world is the underbelly of belief. The soft, vulnerable target for those who attack the existence of God. Theologians have no tougher task than explaining evil. Not just its presence, but its ubiquity and its enormity. How on earth can a God-believer explain evil? Does evil disprove God? I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my journey to find out. One of philosophy's clearest thinkers is Peter Van Inwagen. He's a theist, and I'd like him to frame the problem of evil. We meet at Notre Dame. Peter, you talk about the magnitude, the duration, and the distribution of evil. Let's begin there, in defining the the scope of the problem. The phrase, the problem of evil, really means the problem of bad stuff. In a world created and sustained by uh, an omnipotent and morally perfect and benevolent God, why are these vast amounts of truly horrendous stuff going on in the world? Well, if there were an omniscient and perfectly benevolent uh, being who never did anything that was morally wrong, if there were such a being, is that there wouldn't be vast amounts of truly horrible things going on. But there are vast amounts of truly horrible things going on. Therefore, there is no such being. Well, it looks like one thing that a being uh, who can do uh, anything except um, what's intrinsically impossible can't do is perhaps see to it that a person act of that person's own free will one way or the other. Can't both give a person a free choice between A and B and ensure that that being choose A. That's pretty plausible. Well, that suggests why there might be some evil in the world, even if not all uh, the kinds uh, that we uh, see. It might be that um, God gave people free choice. Some of them brought about some pain and suffering as a result uh, of their free choice. And therefore, God couldn't do anything uh, about that. And why would he give them 
free will, well, maybe having free will is an intrinsic good. Maybe it's better. It might be that uh, the evil it leads to wouldn't be as great as the good of free will. So God still gets more good uh, in the world by allowing free will than evil. Of course, this kind of defense might only explain why there were a few uh, broken ankles or bruised ribs or bad cases of flu uh, in the world. It wouldn't explain death camps or the Lisbon earthquake or anything along those lines. But at any rate, it might explain why there is some evil in the world. But we can't just say this much and no more. Now, on to an atheist, for whom it's not the problem of evil, which seeks to defend God, but the argument from evil, which seeks to defeat God. Quentin Smith is a prolific philosopher and an avowed atheist, who is more passionate about the riddle of existence than most theologians. Quentin, whenever I bring up the problem of evil to theologians, uh, they get very nervous and they talk very fast. This is a problem for them. Do you think legitimately so? Yes, it is. And they think, but it's not bad enough problem to refute theism. But I think it actually does refute theism. How so? It first came apparent to me that it was certain that God did not exist when one night I was staying in a cabin and I heard one animal screaming and agony and bones breaking. And then I was thinking, there's a law of eat or be eaten, of carnivores. And I was thinking that no good, all-powerful, all-knowing God will create a law when we're to stay alive you have to murder some other creature or else be murdered by them and eaten by them. And I call that an evil natural law. Well, aren't you imposing your reasonably limited, finite understanding of this gigantic universe of which you, frankly, and, and me together, know extremely little? Well, I'm using as my evidence what the theists use and what scientists use as their evidence. It's not a personal value system to say that uh, it's a good thing that a tiger is going to tear apart a zebra's neck and eat it. Everyone recognizes that's bad. But the world that you're trying to create sounds so simplistic to satisfy our small wants that, that maybe you th you're thinking too small. I wouldn't say they're simplistic. I would say there's so many possibilities to create a world so much better than our world that it's inconceivable that a perfectly good and powerful being could have created our particular world. Everyone thinks death is bad. Why would a good being create something that people dislike the most, dread the most? It, it just doesn't make sense. What about moral evil? The evil that human beings do to each other? Theists would say, that's free will. Well, I think they're missing the problem. The real problem is, why would a all-powerful, perfectly good, all-wise being create such inadequate beings as human beings? And look at human history. How immature most people are, how selfish they are, um, how 
lacking in intelligence we all are, even philosophers. I don't take this personally. But even atheist <laughs> philosophers. <laughs> and, um, and also with such a limited capacity to do moral good, which is so easily harmed by, say, if somebody does something bad to somebody, then what's the reaction? It's not forgiveness, it's usually revenge or anger. But the argument is that it is because of that that this gives a richness to the world so that people can struggle and work together and sympathize and build their character and build their soul and so that it's a struggle. I think suffering and having moral evil done to you by other people makes you worse, not better. I mean, the Jews in the concentration camp, they didn't become morally better, more psychologically healthy because of what the Nazis did to them. And look at everybody else. When something very bad happens to them, caused by other people, they typically become worse, not better. So psychologically, ethically, in almost every respect. Quentin finds it inconceivable that an all-good, all-powerful God would create a world with such monumental evil. I want to believe in God, but I'm troubled. I am pleased to engage Professor Alvin Plantinger, who has energized Christian philosophy in America. For Al, the problem of evil has always been core. Alvin, you've defined difference between a so-called theodicy and a defense. Uh, how do you differentiate? Well, uh, when we're thinking about an argument against God's existence from evil, the question might be, why does God permit evil? A theodicy would be an attempt to answer that question and say, well, here's why God permits it for the following reasons. Whereas a defense could be offered by somebody who says, um, I don't know what God's reasons are. Maybe his reasons are totally beyond us. But at least I can show you that there isn't any contradiction between the existence of evil on the one hand and God's being uh, wholly good and omniscient and omnipotent on the other hand. So how do you approach it? I've always thought it was really hard for us to say what God's reasons would actually be. It looks, and if you look at lots of the things that happens, a lot of the things, the Holocaust, for example, what could his reason be? One just doesn't know what the reason is there. So I've instead offered a defense, the free will defense with respect to the problem of evil. And the basic idea is to show, contrary to what some people say, that there's no contradiction in asserting both that God exists and is omnipotent, omniscient, and holy good, and that there is such a thing as evil. How do you do that? Well, the free will defense um, roughly goes like this. God is, om is omnipotent, but that doesn't mean that he can bring about just every possible state of affairs. So, for example, he can't cause it to be the case that I freely do something or other, freely give, say, $100 to my church. He can't cause me to do that freely. If he causes me to do it, I don't do it freely. So the free will defense says that, um, first of all, there are possible worlds in which there are free creatures who only do what is right. 
But maybe those worlds are ones that God can't create. But it could be that for any free creature you pick out, if God were to create that creature and put them in, this, uh, in, uh, in any particular circumstance you mentioned, any possible world you mentioned, that creature would do at least one wrong thing. Any creature like that would suffer from what I called trans-world depravity. Trans-world depravity says only that for any world in which God could have actualized you, you would perform at least one wrong action. And, and that, therefore, God could not create a possible world in which there was no evil. Therefore, he could not create a possible world in which will. there were free creatures, but no evil. Mm. Any, any world he created that had free creatures in it would contain some evil. And maybe that was a good exchange. Maybe the price was right, you might say, from <laughs> God's point of view. You and others have, have eliminated the logical uh, requirement that if you have evil, then you have no God. But you've not dealt with the magnitude and the enormity, so probabilistically, there's probably no God, even though logically you cannot exclude the possibility. That's certainly, uh, that's the way things have gone. But now, now the suggestion is right, that uh, the existence of all this evil just makes it vastly unlikely, extremely unlikely that there is such a person as God. Well, I think believers in God have to admit we don't know, don't know why God permits those in any detail at least. But the question is whether that makes it unlikely that God does have a reason. I mean, suppose God does have a reason. Is it likely that I would know? Would you and I be the first person he'd tell? Um, maybe his reasons are totally beyond our ken. Maybe we just don't know enough about what his circumstances are like to have any grasp of what his reasons might be. If it's unlikely that God would ever tell Al, it's even more unlikely he'd ever tell me. I like Al's weaker claim. He offers a defense against the argument from evil, which explains why the existence of God is not logically contradicted by evil, but he does not offer a theodicy, which would give the real reasons why God and evil coexist. This renews my hope in God, but I can't rely on hope. To Michael Tooley, a professor at the University of Colorado, the argument from evil is the strongest evidence that God does not exist. I think that evil provides really very good reasons, unfortunately, for concluding uh, that God does not exist. Where God so you're not happy God doesn't exist? No, no. I have atheistic friends who say, gee, you wouldn't want to see God existing. That seems very strange, right? I mean, look, God is all-powerful, all-knowing, perfectly good. It seems to me that that's just the sort of being you'd want to exist. I don't think my chances or your chances of surviving death are very good if there's no God, right? If there's God, at least it's a pretty reasonable chance. Yeah, so you would like God to exist, but you really don't think he does, and evil is the probably the best reason why not? First of all, it's a very natural sort of argument, okay? I mean, in everyday life, when we look at how people behave, we draw conclusions about what they're like, okay, right? And the world is a stage for God if he exists, okay? And so if you look at what happens in the world, right, it looks like a very natural conclusion to draw concerning the existence of God and the nature of God, that God is, if there is a creator, he's not morally perfect. Well, we know there are different kinds of evil. There's massive evil like a Hitler, 
There's personal evil and so-called moral evils, and then there are the natural evils of the world, whether it's earthquakes and tsunamis or animal suffering. I don't think the distinction is really crucial. Some people do. Now, suppose that you were more powerful than you are and more knowledgeable and lived at the time of Hitler, and you knew that he had this great plan, okay, right? He was going to kill six million people, right? Uh, suppose that you could have given him a stroke. What would you have done? Do you say, oh, don't know? If we imagine a god who has created the entire universe or multiverse, who has, you know, vast interest there, well, reality could be much more complex than, than our minds can conceive. Okay, you made an excellent point. I mean, what you've said, in fact, is that you could have these, these evils that referred to Hitler, the tsunami, and so on, and have an all-powerful, all-knowing, perfectly good God. And that seems to be right. In the past, people tried to argue that was impossible, okay, that you couldn't have the two. I think that's wrong, but what I think is that... That you can have a, an all-good, all-powerful God who allows these massive evils because there's some greater good in some way. That's right, precisely, right. And so I think that sort of version of the argument from you doesn't work. But the version I favor is one that says that those things are evidence against the existence of God. And unless you've got some sort of countervailing argument, they carry the day. So if, if you weigh the balance, obviously your, your, your scale would tip towards no God, but how close is it? Well, if there's only one evil you're looking at, it's really quite close, okay, right? I think all you can show is the probability that God exists is less than one half. So it's a bit worse than an even bet, okay? But as the number of evils go up, I claim you can prove that uh, the probability goes down quite dramatically. But are you not admitting that there could be the greater good? Well, there could be a greater good, but there could be a greater evil. I mean, so if you appeal to unknown goods and evils, right, then of course there could be a greater good that justifies it, but there could be a greater evil that makes the situation even worse than it appears to be. I see. So therefore you stay, and, and that one evil makes it less than half, and if you have multiple innumerable evil, it becomes a probability factor that, that approaches zero as a limit. That's right. It's right so formally. If there are a million evils, the probability God exists is one over a million and one. Michael wishes there were a God. Me too. But evil does him in. Michael argues that every instance of evil makes the existence of God less and less likely. I'm ready again for how theists think that such an all-powerful, all-good God created a world with such massive, monstrous evil. Richard Swinburne's arguments for the existence of God are coherent and sophisticated. He doesn't shirk from the problem of evil, not from its kind, not from its scale. Richard, you've said that the onus of proof must pass to the theist because of this enormity of evil. Yes, I think that's right. One needs an explanation of why a perfectly good being should allow these things, and if one can't uh, have one, that means one has, that suffering is, presents an argument against the existence of God. And I think there would be something wrong with us if we simply shrugged our shoulders and said, well, uh, it really is no, no reason for supposing there is no God. So, what do we do? The first thing to remember is that good human parents often allow their children to suffer or indeed cause them to suffer 
for a good reason. If there's some painful operation that will make the child better from some disease, parents put the child through that painful operation. So the mere fact of suffering doesn't mean that God is not perfectly good, but it does mean that we need to look for a reason why he would allow it to occur. With the uh, case of human parents, we can see that there are four criteria which need to be satisfied if God is to allow an evil. Uh, the first is that it must be necessary for the occurrence of some greater good, and the second is that God must bring about that greater good. Thirdly, God must have the right to bring about uh, the evil for the sake of the good, and the fourth is that uh, the good must be good enough uh, to outweigh the, the evil. Now, of course, God, unlike human parents, can do anything logically possible. But there are some things which are logically impossible, that is, the doing of which by God would involve a contradiction and therefore make no sense. A uh, very simplest example of that would be, it's a good thing that we shall have a choice between good and evil. But God cannot bring it about if he gives us this good of the choice between good and evil. He can't bring it about that we choose the good. And, of course, the scale is the real issue. People are apt to say, well, yes, in principle, it's a good thing that we should have the uh, opportunity to damage each other. Uh, but only a little bit, not too much. Um, but then... What would the world be like then? It would be a sort of toy world where, yes, we could cause them pain, but not intense pain. Uh, in that case, it wouldn't really matter what we did uh, very much. If it's to be really up to us how the world goes, we must have very considerable responsibility. And that, of course, is what causes the problem. But now let's uh, just see just how big that problem is. Um, there is a limit to the amount of suffering we can cause to anybody, and that limit is roughly 80 years. That is to say, um, people have finite lives. We can't damage anybody forever. And there's clearly a limit, but they are very wide limits. Um, and the point is, if they weren't very wide limits, we wouldn't be being trusted by God to look after each other and his world. A friend of mine has asked, my grandparents were killed by the Nazis. Did God set that situation just to enable these Nazis to have free will? Don't get me wrong, it's a horrible thing. But God was interested not just in the victims, but he was interested in the concentration camp guards too. And I think they were the, the real victims of the Holocaust. The Jews lost their lives, but the guards lost their souls. Well, I'm not happy with either side of this. Doesn't there have to be some recompense to those as individuals? Yes, God has to have the right to allow certain people to suffer for the benefit of others. Now, why does God have this right? Well, he is their creator. He has brought them into existence. He is their benefactor. And God has given so much that he has the right to take back some. Uh, but it may be that there are cases of people whose lives are such that, on balance, it is better that they should not have lived. But even if there's one, doesn't yes, God have a responsibility yes. to that one person? Yes, indeed. The duty of a benefactor, the duty of a parent, 
is to ensure that their life as a whole is good. And it follows that if God gave somebody a life which on this earth was on balance bad, then he has an obligation to compensate for that in the afterlife. Summing it all up, you've said that at the end of the day, the problem of evil does indeed detract from the probability of the existence of God, although not by too much. Among the criteria for the probability of a hypothesis are its simplicity. Um, and if you have to add a hypothesis, an extra hypothesis to uh, one hypothesis, that makes the total less simple and, and so less probable. But they do uh, make it a little more complicated and for that reason do count a bit against it, yes. Atheists and theists agree that evil counts against God. How much against? To atheists, enough to knock him out. To theists, there must be an explanation. If I believe in the traditional God, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good, then I must explain evil, not so much its raw existence, but its monumental scale and scope. The free will defense, the no-toy world defense, an afterlife, especially troublesome is natural evil, where there's no sin, and still the innocents suffer. Sometimes I think, maybe it's the flat, homogenous, monotonous, non-evil world that would really count against the real God. But I have no confidence that's closer to truth. To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and meaning, visit our website, closertotruth.com.